I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I would like to begin by acknowledging and paying my respects to the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, the traditional custodians of the land on which we stand today. I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi everyone. Hi there. My name is Jane. My name's Kurt. And this is all Maddie. <laughs> Today we are doing a bonus episode with our guest here, Old Maddie from Delicious Word Sandwich Podcast, one of our TNC Network uh, co-podcasters. How mm-hmm. are you today? I am real swell today. I just had a big Dungeons and Dragons session yesterday. I've been writing the new episode, which has taken me months, and <laughs> and I'm finally feeling good about it. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good. It's all, you know, uh, self-isolation and paranoia down here in Melbourne currently. But, you know, that's what happens during a global pandemic. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely time to listen to podcasts and binge watch some shows. Totally, totally. Uh, Just so that everybody knows, we are recording this on the 15th of March. So any discussion of world events is a couple of weeks old. But, uh, you know. Always fun to hear stories from the past. Yeah, and I am looking forward to the amount of uh, new materials such as Frozen 2 and Rise of Skywalker coming out on streaming providers earlier than anticipated because of forced quarantines. (laughs) Silver linings. Hooray. Yeah, Yeah. Let's, let's look at the bright side of things. Anyway, as you guys all know, we are a podcast where we make each other watch episodes of our favorite TV shows and then try and work out why we love the things that we love. And since we have a guest on today, old Maddie, what did you make us watch this week? I made you watch The Big Night. Height of two men, the weight of four, the strength of 16. Sir Boris, Starring Brian Blessed. Starring Brian Blessed? Who is that? I mean, I was doing a quick Google of him and I didn't see other things that he voiced that I'm really familiar with. What are some of the other things that I should be familiar with, old Maddie? Uh, Brian Blessed is known especially for being in uh, the first season of Blackadder as the Mad King. Oh, of course. So that must be why reviewers of this show would often say it's similar to the Monty Python cross with Blackadder humour in a cartoon show. And it had... Wow. And his booming voice, I'm struggling to remember it right this moment, but it was in something really prominent as like a voiceover kind of thing. And it was just the best. Yeah, cool. All right. So this show seems to have a host of like famous British actors and personalities and all sorts of things going on. (laughs) Uh, Tell me a little bit about any of those people. Do we have any other famous people that we all know? 
David Rintoll, Alexander Armstrong, Morwenna Banks, and Prunus, Prunella Scales, although none of this is actually ringing any bells for me. I must say, I while I enjoy BBC humour, I don't really remember names and actors of any of them. They're all mm. like character actors. So they've all been around. A lot of them made a lot of prominence on the English stage. And yeah. Yeah, I was seeing uh, in a lot of their um, filmographies and uh, stage credits was a lot of uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of uh, performances on the um, West End. Yes. Yes. So. <laughs> I was just trying to remember what the Broadway version of Britain was. Yeah. Yes. I, I love it when you get like fabulous Shakespearean actors doing like kids shows. It just brings me so much glee and I'm sure that they have fun with it too. It's so fun. It's actually like my favorite kind of humor when stupidity and absurdism is taken really seriously by really like passionate, serious people like Shakespearean (laughs) actors. Yeah. Now, Jane, uh, you don't really remember this show too much at all as a kid, do you? Look, I remember it was on. So it was like, it was always in between whatever I was watching on ABC Kids. And it was always one of those shows that I was like, ugh, whatever that is. Yeah. And um, never really sat down and watched it, which I think is probably a shame. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, how you got into the show, Maddie? So I watched a lot of like morning TV and stuff. You know, you get up with your serial Saturday morning cartoons were my jam. If it was like the 40s, I'd watch those old 40s serials to death like and I, that only happened when I got like around 13 I discovered those and then I like went to laborious effort to make that happen <laughs> <laughs> but when I was a kid I'd come home from um, swimming training because uh, I wasn't just forced to learn to swim I was like forced you're going to take this seriously as your sport it's like I don't like regulated <laughs> swimming swim <laughs> so, so I'd be conscripted I'd come home from swimming training and what would be on would be the big nights and I would just binge it like it was my jam. Like, yeah, there's very few shows from my childhood that I was like, this cartoon is exactly what I'm looking for from a show. Yeah. And so given its style of humor, I'm guessing you probably were interested in a lot of BBC styles, BBC style stuff with um, Monty Python or um, Blackadder. I personally actually have seen a lot of Monty Python. I haven't seen any Blackadder and I feel a little bit guilty about that. I don't feel guilty. Just watch it. Okay. <laughs> no that's like every piece of advice I've ever given Kurt about anything it's... stop feeling guilty about whatever it is and just do it again the entire premise for the podcast made you look exactly Indeed. just watch the damn thing <laughs> uh, yeah I'm the same I watched a lot of Monty Python growing up uh, with my dad mm. lots of ministry of funny walks and that kind of thing um, and then, and Blackadder just, I don't know, it, I don't know if it was just never on or I just kind of missed out on all of it. I remember just before streaming uh, providers became a big source of stuff and YouTube really like boomed on the internet uh, when digital channels had their extra little stuff and reruns of other shows was becoming big. Blackadder was often, uh, and, and a lot of BBC style shows were coming on along that time. So when yeah. I was like approaching the age of like leaving high school in like year 12, when I was like about 18, 18. It was like all these old shows were coming on and I would get these promos for them. But I would end up getting stuck on things uh, like, are you being served way too much? And uh, I would watch that again and again. I've got to say, I've been a bit surprised uh, by um, The Big Nights uh, only actually running for one season uh, from 1999 to the year 2000. I thought it went on for much longer. So did I actually when I went back for this. I, when I, There was only that many episodes. I was like, 
one, yeah. why don't I just rewatch the whole thing right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and two, yeah, I just remember it like this endless, timeless thing that I just kept rewatching. So I think that's a testament, even though I was a kid, how good the humor was that you could just keep going back to it and not realize it wasn't the same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and totally because I I don't remember it just like being on for a minute. Like yeah. I remember this being like constantly like rerunning on TV and TV. And I just assumed that there was like a thousand episodes because yeah. I don't remember seeing the same clip twice. Which is like I remember even when I would watch occasionally The Simpsons, I always felt like I was getting the same episodes. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like I don't think I ever saw the same clip twice, but. I must have, because <laughs> there's like 12 episodes. 13. Only 13, 13 10-minute length episodes. Yeah. Do uh, you want to just quickly introduce the concept and the premise of the show, and then uh, we'll, we can go back into production history a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. Sorry, you will, old Maddie. Sorry. It's not <laughs> my job this time. Not your job this time. <laughs> ha, ha, ha! Now, <laughs> so um, also going back to Brian Blessed, I remembered what he was really known for. He was uh, the villain in Tarzan. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes i love that movie that is a classic and that is a really good yeah yeah that voice yes yes it's coming back to me now mm-hmm. thank you thank everything you. makes sense yeah. i did his voice for a dd character once and the way i just do it, it was like gorilla okay we're here <laughs> um yes so the big knights it's set in a fantastical land known as barovia and, and Barovia is ambiguous in terms of its power kind of status, like where it is in the modern world, uh, as you discovered with the episode coming up. Uh, and the heroes, the big knights, are two hulking, dim-witted, but surprisingly <laughs> proficient, like, knights of classic chivalry. Like, all they want to do is, like, fight an adventure all day and feast and guffaw and have a great old time. And... <laughs> It's funny because they, they're kind of like Don Quixote in a way in that they live in, a, in an age where that chivalry and that kind of knight isn't meant to exist anymore. Mm. But it's so absurd because there's still dragons and trolls and ogres just <laughs> <laughs> and witches. So yes. they're necessary and everyone kind of begrudgingly has to accept that they're necessary. And yeah. Mm. I do love in the title sequence like the patriarchy and baby boomers. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I do like that in the title sequence. It's the height of two men, the weight of four, and the strength of sixteen. Um, it wasn't until that I was watching this back again. I was like, wow, I actually really remembered this show. Uh, there was one episode in particular that made me just completely terrified um and that was uh the episode where they do time travel and they accidentally just screw things over repetitively uh and i think i had nightmares for two weeks about square shaped wheel i learned the butterfly effect from the big nights (laughs) and this is probably my earliest like exposure to time travel and the problems that surround that in storytelling Wow. I can't believe you had nightmares from the big night. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. (laughs) Um, I've got to remember, I I really do remember the show a lot. I think if I went back and watched it, I would probably only have missed maybe two episodes. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, And I remember what I remember a lot was watching this around the same time that 
oh, what's his name called? Uh, someone the Barbarian. Uh, the really annoying guy, Dave the Barbarian, probably. I, I think it was, I, it was a really mundane name like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was. it's got that similar kind of zest for trying to just be an adventuring, hulking hero, but being quite dim-witted. And so these two shows, even though they're completely different in terms of style of humour, one was American-produced and one was British-produced, um, they kind of went hand-in-hand hand for me for that kind of age where I was just enjoying these random castle dragon adventures in a time where it seems that they're a li- little bit displaced in society. Mm. Mm, lovely. Yeah. So do you want to just uh, go a little bit, we've kind of talked a little bit about the production history, about where it's from and the kind of humour that it was uh, emulating, but tell us a little bit about its creation, who's in it. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, it was actually uh, broadcast on the BBC One over Christmas season, which is quite nice, uh, between 1999 and the year 2000. Uh, So it was produced by the Astley Baker Davies uh, Company, which is actually made up of three people. It's nice, they just all put their last name. Astley Baker and Davies? Uh, So it's uh, Neville, Astley, Mark Baker, and Phil Davies. And uh, while their first production company uh, result was The Big Nights, the next one is still running to this day, and you will recognize the style almost immediately. Peppa Pig. Hey. Peppa Pig. Of yes. Course. So they are actually one of the most successful uh, cartoon companies now to date, uh, given how popular Peppa Pig is. And so uh, one thing I'll talk about a little bit later is actually um, the cell action 2D style of animation that they use, um, which is almost exactly the same. Uh, and so The Big Nights was one of the first cartoons uh, produced on television that actually used this style of animation. Radio. It's very fun and exciting, but we'll talk a little bit about the episodes before we get into that. Um, it's it's won a number of awards. I am really honestly surprised that there are only 13 10-minute episodes, but these are kind of like back in a time where for certain cartoon shows like Looney Tunes and um, Tom and Jerry, I guess they're Looney Tunes too, maybe? No, no, yeah. they're a different company. Oh, no, Thank I think, you. I think they're, no, I think they're both Warner Brothers, but yeah, they're... Oh, yeah, but they're different. It's yeah. not part of the, like... Yeah, yeah, they're not the same world. Franchise. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Tom and Jerry are separate to Tweety and Sylvester, who are also part of the Looney Tunes. Yeah. Okay, segue aside. <laughs> um, we, uh, I really love that uh, as part of the characters, we have not only Sir Boris and Sir Morris, but also Sir Boris's loyal hound clad in armour, Sir Horace, and Sir Morris's pet hamster, also clad in plate armour. Um, Sir and, Doris. Um, Yes, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I I actually, one of the episodes when I was looking into the production history, I hadn't um, seen, and I'm so keen to watch actually after we finish recording this podcast, uh, is an episode of uh, Jack and the Beanstalk uh, set from the perspective of Sir Doris. Cute. And I I just love the idea of looking at everything big from the most smallest perspective possible mm-hmm. um, to kind of see how all of that plays out. Uh, and so it's 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 quite impressive the fact that it's uh, been um, uh, won a number of awards, but it's only actually gone over to a couple of countries. I don't actually see it of ever being um, distributed on television in America. Um, that may not have been the case. It may have gotten there from some other way. I mean, probably not. It's not really, I feel like, uh, I feel like the US is less likely to import British children's TV shows since they have such a thriving industry themselves. Right. And the humour style often just does not translate. Yeah, while Australians can often take in uh, American humour and British humour, going back and forth doesn't tend to work too well. Yeah, no, it's totally different. Um, So yeah, we got Australia, Poland, Brazil, Finland and the Netherlands, um, which is known as the Big Nights in Australia, 
Wisely Rice-Seuss. I Maybe should not pronounce these. Maybe don't try and pronounce yeah, the no. names in their local titles. I do the like that the trouble. Netherlands <laughs> is called Heron in Blick, though. I like that. Heron in Blick. Lovely. <laughs> okay. But that's uh, basically um, just a little bit of the information surrounding the actual um, production of the show. Um, which is quite fun, but uh, it's really nice to know that uh, a show can actually be quite simple and quite short, but still have uh, quite a long-lasting effect that it could be running over and over again and still seem somewhat original. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, I'm going to do a bit of a recap of the two episodes that we watched for this podcast. I'm going to do it in my best nightly voice. Yes. Because why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to start off with episode three, Night School, since it's uh, technically the first one in the run. Sir Boris and Sir Modis are at a feast with the king and princesses and all the court. The king asks for a poem and the knights make a big mess and are very crass in the poem that they tell. The king decrees that they be sent back t- to training as punishment. Sir, oh, we've got to look up this guy's name. I couldn't find his name. Do you remember the name of the sir who teaches them about oh. manners and cordial, polite behaviour? It's like Sir... It's not Sir Fiddlesticks. It's like Sir Crookshinks or something. <laughs> <laughs> sir Bloody Blah tries teaching them trivial things such as manners and bowing, but the knights are having none of it. It's Sir Kifskate. Sir Kifskate. Ah. Lovely. Sir Kifskate. Uh, the knights are having none of it. They decide to open up an old-fashioned knight school and advertise that they will reveal all the secrets of knight combat. The witches, dragons... And ogres all come to the school to learn how to defeat the knights who do not notice that their students are all villains due to the masks that they wear. The witches, dragons and and ogres ogres attack the kingdom using their knightly skills. But Sir Boris and Sir Morris are called upon and still manage to beat them. They return to court the heroes and once again make a mess of their poetry telling, including nudity. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, I didn't realise that the uh, cheeky princess twins were repeating uh, characters. But again, in 13 episodes, I'm not sure how many of these characters are repeating. And the um, article outlining all of these characters is just listing ones that may be in one episode. But I do like that they love the alliteration here and the sounds of the words. Uh, mm. You know, Morris, Horace, Doris and Boris. And you've got the princesses Lucy and Loretta. Lovely. Yes. The next episode... Uh, Episode 6, Proton Power. The king of Barovia is searching for a new power source for the kingdom. Instead of the clean, efficient, but expensive nuclear option, he goes for proton power, as it is cheap. It is, however, very dangerous and could explode at any time, as told by Professor Von Proton. Sir Boris and Sir Morris learn of the new power initiative and decide to modernise their home with the latest in home servant technology, actually firing their current housekeeper. Uh, Her name is uh, Mrs. Mrs. Ethel Ethel Minion. Minion. (laughs) Good bit. Sir (laughs) Boris... I don't get it. Is it just because she's a minion and a a servant? Okay. Maybe I don't think it's as good as you do, old man. Sorry. Uh, The new technology draws a great deal of power from the grid and overwhelms the proton power plant, destabilising the core. The king evacuates the kingdom and calls for two very brave and very stupid people to help them. Of course, our big knights. 
They, t they forget their task, however, and instead of neutralizing the core, they retrieve and hand it over just as it explodes. We learn that proton power comes from pig shit, which has now covered the entire kingdom. Sir Boris and Sir Morris's housekeeper, Mrs. Ethel Minion, is pleased to return once more to clean the poop from their castle walls. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Apologies for the little slip in accent there. Um, I, it's no, it was not right. really my, my, my strong suit. No, I, I appreciate your commitment, Jane, very much, very much. Um, no, oh my gosh. I When I first watched this, I was a little bit worried because uh, Jane has often been a, uh, not let's say not a fan, of toilet humour. Uh, that is sometimes something that pops out uh, out of um, the shows that I've suggested to her. Um, but it seemed like it wasn't too bad for you this time around. Look, it's limited. I feel like, I feel like the whole thing about toilet humor usually is that it's like lol farts funny, mm -hmm. um, and it's just like I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I don't want to look down on it. Um, I get that for a lot of people, farts are funny. For little kids, farts little are kids, very funny. Sure, for me generally, not really the case. Um, but I think the way that it was actually woven into the plot of the episode, um, as you know something that made a difference and was, yeah, kind of integrated into the story makes a huge difference for me. It didn't seem like it was just humour for the sake of it. Yeah, it's it like was poop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it didn't bother me as much as usual, I think, because it was actually woven into the story and because it was only a little bit at the end. It wasn't, like, constantly repeated. Yeah. So... Yeah, for me, not so bad this time. Mm, I, uh, I definitely really much uh, was was grateful to just see how much Sir Boris and uh, sorry, not Sir Boris, Sir Horace and Sir D the pets <laughs> to see that the, the the dog and the hamster still uh, clad in armor don't just aren't just clad in armor for stylistic purposes. They actually chime in and during the crazy. Um, you know, uh, disaster <laughs> of all of the armored witches, uh, dragons, and ogres. Um, they actually join in on the battle to actually take some of them down. Uh, and so it's quite fun to see how bizarrely um, good they are at what they do. <laughs> but it just needs to be very, very, very clearly directed. Otherwise, even when it is clearly directed, it doesn't tend to go too well. And I enjoy good failure in my characters. So <laughs> this is something that tends to be up my alley. <laughs> yeah, when I picked the episode, the image that like stuck in my mind from childhood was when their two medieval knights are in a new a proton reactor and just like <laughs> tearing it up and i was like that's the perfect image for this show yeah <laughs> and i actually forgot that the, it was powered by poop so when the king <laughs> so when the king's like you've covered my whole kingdom in pig manure it's like yeah. that's why they did it so that mm. delivery of that line, it's like, what a gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole episode could have been written just because we could get a king to say this. Um, but I, uh, I really enjoy that uh, the uh, second episode, Proton Power, really uh, showed us a bit more of the out-of-dateness of these heroes. The fact that we're in an empire that has uh, electricity starting to be a part of their <laughs> modern world. And they're what the, the royal family watching uh, on the telly the development of different different electricity across the land is a very 
um, it's giving me Crown vibes, especially season three. That's actually not been released too far back when they actually show that what the royal family's like watching television and has that kind of um, style of oh yes, good. Jolly good. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> um, and it's it's so nice to see, uh, to really get an understanding of um, they're really not part of this world anymore, but they're really on the outskirts and kind of reminds me of some of the other uh, farms and people that I've seen um, in the small country towns. Although my hometown did get its first two traffic lights last year, so that was a big so. win for us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess kind of, yeah, the idea of having this um, society that's kind of on the on the edge of like, is it modern? Is it chivalrous? Like, it's clearly a, a kingdom, which doesn't mm. exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but also they have power. Like, it's a very bizarre world to be in. Um, tell me, were you like drawn to that as a kid, this kind of juxtaposed world? Absolutely. The, the absurdism of the world and like the whole... Your heroes are two outsiders, but they're so confident in the fact that they're outsiders. Like, they don't even realize that they're not supposed to, like, they don't fit. They're just they're so happy to be themselves and be in this ambiguous world where anything can is kind of, kind of happens. Like, it's one of those shows where you can imagine the writer's room and they've given themselves this flexibility that any gag they want, it's like, oh, let's put them in a proton power plant. They can do that and it works. <laughs> And I love that it's like, we're going to put this unstable power plant as far from society as we can, and it's right next door to the big knights. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so emblematic of, like, how this world kind of just works for these characters so perfectly. And, yeah, so I guess that's what drew me in, is I've always been into, like, old-fashioned swashbuckling and rumbunctious adventure, but Mm. also Mm. absurdism and kind of modern themes and fish out of water outsiders and all that it has i it feel all. like oh sorry keep uh, going i was just saying it has it all <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i feel like the like when you talk about like absurdism and chivalry i think it's so interesting that like any modern storytelling and when i say modern storytelling i'm talking about like as you mentioned don quixote even back then which is like one of the first novels like that people count as the modern novel yeah even back then, people were like, lol, chivalry. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, it, we're so far removed from that, that the only way we can actually look at chivalry and that kind of um, the idea of bravery for the sake of bravery um, mm. is through absurdism because it's such a weird concept in our society. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't even make sense. <laughs> what are they being paid to charge in? <laughs> Nothing. They just do it. <laughs> To be perfectly honest, I think that one of the reasons that, like, it's so fun that the writers could just be like, oh, time travel machine, do we need a wizard to do this or do we need a scientist? Oh, doesn't matter. We could choose either. Um, Setting it in this, it gives me a a very um, Tim Burton Batman universe vibes in terms of the fact that it's this gothic kind of empirical looking uh, city that uses old timey cars and newspapers aboard. But also, you know, Alfred is swatching up his DJ skills with a CD recording of the Penguin. Um, So I just enjoy that it's got this uh, element of just being able to bring in kind of any time era that it really wants to draw upon. It's really surprising that it didn't actually get more successful. Um, But then I guess looking at uh, the countries that it actually was exported to, that probably does speak a little bit uh, to it in itself, uh, that maybe it wasn't as mass 
um, marketable. Um, unlike their future incredible success, uh, Peppa Pig, who yeah. is actually apparently five foot four, and that is a terrifying large height for a that pig. That is massive. That's like Napoleon yes. in an animal farm. Are you sure Peppa herself is five four, or not? Not her parents. Like pigs do get really big. Yeah, but that's and that's I guess what I guess if you think about it, five foot four on all fours wouldn't be as scary for a pig. Probably about the same size as Kevin Bacon. If anyone has ever visited Kevin Bacon in the past five years at that good old cafe in Sydney. I don't know what you're talking about. There's a giant pig in a cafe uh, called The Grounds in Sydney. Oh, uh, Grounds in Alexandria. Uh, yeah, I've been there, but yeah. Kevin Bacon was not there. Kevin Bacon could have been dead. Uh, or Kevin Bacon could have been missing. <laughs> There's two fun things about Kevin Bacon. First, uh, he has passed on and has been superseded by his uh, replacement, Harry Trotter. Um, but the first development with uh, Kevin Bacon is that he was about six or seven years at this cute little farm part of the cafe, and he was actually stolen, uh, but then escaped the thieves and actually made his way back to um, the cafe on his own. I don't believe this story. I yeah. think this is a publicity stunt. I mean, there aren't that many other pigs <laughs> that look like Kevin Bacon, but I guess the company, the cafe could have just been pulling a whole parents goldfish replacement scenario over our eyes. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that one of the reasons why uh, The Big Nights was certainly an appealing aspect to me as a kid is because I really romanticised this notion of chivalry. And I'm not sure if it's this uh, element of that I was raised in a very Christian household and that I was limited into the, certs, the certain types of things I could watch. Uh, you know, I'm, I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter and uh, these kind of shows that had barbarians or elements of magic in them were kind of okay because it was a kid's show in only 10 minutes and the odds of a dragon or a wizard or a witch being on screen when my parents were in the room was at least limited. Um, but I was always the kind of person who would o leave doors open for girls even in high school and then give out chairs and stuff. And then I'd get to a stage where I was like, Kurt, this is probably not okay. Maybe you should just do it for everyone, not just girls, because that's a bit that's sexist. That's the trick. <laughs> and that's but true I was... chivalry. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but, you know, growing up as a male in uh, Australia, toxic masculinity and unknowingly loyalness to the patriarchy is something that we don't realise we're being taught before we're being taught it. It's true, it's true. You're just, you know... It's hard to overcome society's norms. Yeah, so I think that uh, the the concept of knight chivalry and how barbarians would be these big, brooding, uh, ridiculous men, uh, maybe there's a little bit in terms of uh, my unknown uh, sexual orientation at that point of time as well. Who knows? But uh, ultimately, I definitely realized that was one of the draws uh, to these types of shows for me. I love the night stories and tales and them being these honorable people. Even though they're like also ridiculous? Yeah, yeah. because I saw myself as also ridiculous. You are also ridiculous. Yeah. It adds to the charm that they're also ridiculous to me. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess um, I, I, I looked into like the idea of chivalry. I can't remember why. Of course, I researched it at some point. Um, I, isn't a modern an understanding of chivalry like a total myth anyway? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's really possible in this day and age. No, no. Not like it's not possible in this day and age, but like our understanding of what we think knights code of chivalry was is actually like wrong oh yeah i heard that is that right i think so it's gone through many iterations like if you go from like like lamort to arthur with the original tales of like king arthur like kind of amalgamated for the first time by mallory and then you go to like uh the once and future king written like in the 40s by th white which is like a different kind of like more 
streamlined narrative of Arthur, very different codes of chivalry, very mm. different, like say Lancelot is the pinnacle of chivalry in both of them. And they're very different characters in both of them. Mm. So, because back then, like Arthur got Camelot through mass war, like he was a warlord and he got all his, mm. ki- and, but that was considered chivalrous because back then it was not about, you know, just being courteous and everything. It was about glory and combat and <laughs> your will coming on top of everything. <laughs> and, yes. then, and then later on for Lancelot, it was about like helping everyone you see and adventuring for the sake of adventure. So, and for Quixote, he, he was also about, he's kind of a bit of both, like save everyone but because you decide to save them and like your will is triumphant and combat is it. Yeah. yeah. It's a very strange kind of evolution of things. Like I think in the French age of romanticism, uh, the notions of like romance and stuff came into chivalry way, way more like harder. Whereas before, yeah. before those kind of poems and stuff, it was really just about like justice, but medieval justice where, it's more about yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I was just listening to a podcast today where they were talking about um, like the romantic period where basically like everything leading up to the romantic period had been like very like staunch and like morality and all the literature was all just like very, very boring and very much like keep society in its norms and how the romantics came in and were like, no, 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 individualism. Let's make everything dramatic and exciting and et cetera, et cetera. So I can see how in that time period, it totally would have like shifted the idea of chivalry away from like, you know, fighting for your king and doing whatever you need to for your kingdom mm. into like, no, but he's a knight and he loves the ladies and he's going to protect <laughs> and serve and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, that totally makes sense. It's definitely another way that we've like can easily romanticize history before us and just use it as an interesting writing tool for future characters and stories ultimately. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves a little yeah, swashbuckling adventure <laughs> romanticism. And to be honest, even though I'm not necessarily proud of it, guilty pleasures, We've, we've definitely talked about them on this podcast before. Um, I did watch uh, the terrible Netflix knight Vanessa Hudgens movie with a classic fish-out-of-water scenario where the knight is this just gorgeous, long-haired man who has been somehow transported to the future. And this very wonderful woman who is unfortunately single, and that happens to be her most interesting character story arc to actually have a trouble over Christmas time, uh, means that she ends up falling in love with this Wonderful night. Uh, not necessarily the best way to move cinema forward, <laughs> but very yeah, it doesn't, enjoyable. Doesn't sound like it's my cup of tea. I'm, no. I might spend that in time but yelling it was and throwing things. Yeah, that, that'd but... be it. I remember Kate and Leopold, and that sounds oh, like a yeah. version of that. That was yeah. <laughs> a bit better because he learned. <laughs> yeah, with the gender reversal, it somehow makes it a little bit easier to swallow and tackle and break down. Uh, but in this way, it was just exactly his moment of chivalry and his knight's honor code and path and truth and justice was just that whole um, concept that is just completely inaccurate, but it's just an interesting way of setting up a certain character to be acting a certain way. And then now he's in a completely different place, but he will act a certain way because of his chivalry and his code. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard because, like, all of this stuff I hate in, like, real life, obviously, because, like chivalry is silly and like you should all just be good people and we don't need to be like 
brave and true and protective and stuff. It's like if everybody is just a good person, then nobody needs protecting. Yeah, but unfortunately you know. everyone isn't a good person, Joe. Yeah, I'm... Ob- <laughs> Sorry. Obviously. <laughs> um, also, if anyone listening wants to watch that ridiculous show, it's called The Night Before Christmas with a oh, K-N-I-G-H-T. Oh, that, I saw ads for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good. I'm not saying you should watch it. I'm just saying if you are the kind of person who would enjoy it. If you are stuck inside for, self- for two weeks in self-isolation. Cool. Maybe. When, Maybe. When you were talking about it, I assumed it was made in like the late 90s. <laughs> no, it was made like last year. Oh no! <laughs> those those Netflix Christmas specials. Oh are just like... yeah, they're they're like stuck in back filmmaking twenty years ago. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. just at least Kate the TV shows are better. <laughs> <laughs> just watch Kate and Leopold. That yeah. was a good Christmas present my one not not too long ago actually on yeah. DVD. Of course it was. You know when people people still buy those, Jane. People still buy them. I some do. people yes. Yes. My dad has the biggest DVD collection you've ever seen. It's stupidly large, which we've all been making fun of him for. But like now that we're all again about to be in self-isolation for two weeks um, and like the internet, particularly in Kalgoorlie where my parents live, is going to be like terrible quality with everybody trying to stream. Maybe they had the right idea. He's- I'm so... I'm so grateful that my parents have finally gotten the NBN in their area of their hood uh, because their hood, I don't know why I've used this term, I've never used it before, Um, it was was ridiculously slow and they would take them about five minutes to load 30 seconds of a YouTube video, whereas now they can stream everything and they've been watching Netflix for like the first time in the past three months and they just keep uh, messaging me and calling me saying, Kurt, Lost in Space is amazing. This is the best Christmas gift ever. If, uh, they don't listen to this podcast, I don't think. So hopefully, this won't be the secret won't be ruined. Um, but uh, uh, it wasn't actually meant to be their Christmas present. But because they thought it was their Christmas present, I just didn't end up buying and sending them a Christmas present because I gave them access to all of my Netflix, Stan, and Disney Plus accounts, which is you know enough of a gift, I suppose. If it works, it works. Things were given. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, the actual animation style because I've actually played around with this. I didn't realize that The Big Nights was one of the first um, cartoons to actually incorporate Cell Action 2D software. Um, so a, a, a simple way of understanding Cell Action 2D software is where you rig up drawn assets of a character animated onto a skeleton-like rig frame, uh, and then using computer technology, you would program its movements and its uh, walking and lips moving and uh, motion. Uh, so while the initial setup is a little bit longer than the initial uh, drawing of a single frame, uh, it doesn't require you to consistently um, create them. Once you've created the characters and your assets and your skeletons and your characters, you only have to incorporate new elements. For example, pig manure or a proton power plant. That explains um, so much about how the episodes are written. <laughs> yes, um, that you can see a lot of similar things that you just incorporate one other element and then, oh, here we go. Um, so it, with this kind of technology, you can actually churn out so much content, which speaks in volumes, not for the big nights, but again, for the superseding show, Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. Ultimately, I really love uh, the rig uh, kind of style setup because this kind of technology is actually, while um, not according to Peppa Pig, as it's for a download for free. Um, there is a number of different programs that have emulated that kind of technology. And when I was in my last year of like doing visual arts in high school, before I gave it up, because I mean, 
visual arts, I'm sorry, that's not doesn't seem like a lucrative career moving forward. Um, I uh, really enjoyed that instead of painting and drawing uh, and doing perspective or photography, I could do something more interesting uh, with a computer that had this power. And I know I sound like I'm talking like such an old person, but computer with the power to like put these things into a frame and like it also would uh, replicate, you know, a talking picture kind of technology where you just put certain points on the face. And it's quite fun for anyone who's ever played around with editing or or simple animation. Um, and so this version, the fact that it, uh, when I saw it, you see a lot, a lot, a lot of shows that actually use this style of animation. Mm. Total Drama, actually, that we recently covered in our podcast uses it's this style of animation, this kind of rig style setup uh, of where you uh, uh, basically just create the assets, the different body parts, set them up on a skeleton, and then they can just move around. You know, like those old school uh, crafts that you would do, and then you would like put in those little special gold pins and then pull them out. I was just thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, they're these like butterfly uh, bolts or like little like paperclip things that were gold and they had a little head and then you would like pull them out and there would be like a hinge and then you would have yeah. different paper and different holes and you could like make a, a thing oh, do this. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm yeah, like, I'm with a, you now. For yep. an audio podcast, yep. I'm doing the running man, slow motion <laughs> and the robot. Um, I'm with you, yeah, I followed, I followed. Yes, it's vivid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. But that's essentially uh, what this software does. So what you're saying, is you just want to be a puppet master and <laughs> this allows you to do that digitally. Yes, but That's doing it digitally <laughs> is a lot better because you don't need as much technical skill to build a cool puppet whereas you can just like crop things from Google Images. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it sounds like this kind of technology, like uh, I, I remember I'm digging back into my memory banks to like watching a lot of Lord of the Rings behind the scenes DVD extras. Mm. And I remember them talking a lot about how they were using brand new technology as well to kind of create every single member of the army was its own character. And they just kind of gave it, you know, again, a frame and some, and some kind of general traits. And then they could like put them all into the computer and then go fight. (laughs) Um, So it seems like it's all kind of technology that was probably feeding into each other. Yeah, I mean, that style of uh, 3D rigging skeletons had been around for a little bit longer, I believe. Uh, But it being integrated into uh, 2D animation, Mm. uh, that uh, was really exciting to definitely see how, uh, you know, you don't have to give up on cartoon animation uh, for it to be 2D. You can actually integrate 3D technology into 2D um, planes of uh, creation and the look and style, and it still work on while it is technically, like, it's not 3D, it's just kind of dealing with layers, like on a PowerPoint yeah. presentation, yeah. when you want to send something to back or forward. <laughs> like, this is all they're doing. It's real fun. It's real simple. It's it's not as simple as I probably make it out to sound. But No, it's totally. It's, all you have to do is right-click, send to back. <laughs> once, you've, once you've done, like, the three and a half hours of rigging up one skeleton, uh, it's really fun to just make them do any kind of motion uh, you can actually deem possible in your little head. Oh, yeah, my gosh. just like... Click and drag, boom, you got an episode. Click and drag, <laughs> oh <my> Yeah, <laughs> and I guess it kind of makes sense as we were talking about like um, how these episodes all feel so different and even each kind of section of the episodes feels so different that you might not recognize them if you're only catching bits and pieces at a time. I guess it's because they, they had the ability to, yeah, 
be a little more creative with their backgrounds and their settings. Whereas I know when you, I mean, this is going way, way, way back. Oh yeah. In a, you know, an old school traditional animation style, you're often having to reuse the same animation slides oh, and just kind of redraw over them, you know, mm. to create a different background. It was so labor intensive. So I can imagine this must have just allowed for so much uh, more creativity and fun and playing. And uh, what what I do find um, really nice about like the kinds of stories that they were letting themselves tell is <laughs> they're not necessarily uh, dumbing things down. Um, like they would, they, they are a little bit. It's a kids show. There's always like an element of it's silly, but it's not, and it's like absurd, but it's not like pandering. Yes, or, yes, yeah. actually, that's true. I I've spoken a lot on this season. Of yes, of rose-colored glasses, um, children's shows, making it difficult for Jane to like anything. I recommend to her. Correct, because I just found all of those shows to be a little bit stupid, um, and not just stupid in terms of like the humor, but in terms of like. The writing. The writing and, yeah. and, you know, having bad episode structures like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z, um, which all just, you know, didn't make sense and, and, and it, had plots over, like, 35 episodes. Yeah, There's you, a reason for that. <laughs> sure Find there out is. next time. Sure there is. No, I will not. We cannot get stuck talking about Dragon Ball Z <laughs> so again. So much find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. No. Oh. Um, but the manga had to catch up. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that in. No, <laughs> we'll we're not <laughs> talking about it anymore. I'm traumatized. <laughs> uh, no, but the point is, I don't. I feel like the episode structures are clever. They um, they work. They kind of everything ties into each other. It's not like you've got this random extraneous plots happening over to the side that don't matter. You don't have jokes that don't actually play into the draw into the drama. Um, I think it's actually quite well told storytelling. Even if I don't necessarily like the stories themselves, like they're not really my cup of tea, but. I can really see what they're doing here. And this, the English style of humour, which tends to be more wordplay focused, mm. um, yeah. it's, ter- you know, it's terribly punny. And as you were talking before yeah. about the alliteration and, and mm. giving it that sense of whimsy, um, I have so much more respect for that than I do for a lot of the TV shows that we've spoken about this season. Yes. <laughs> I'm worried she's giving you like guest um, honor and being a little bit kinder to you on your recommendation. But unfortunately, I agree completely as well. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the reasons why I think that this show uh, doesn't feel dated, even though it's over, it's over 20 years old. This show came out in 1999. Okay. Um, so uh, given it had this dry style of humor, this sense of world that it was putting itself in, it meant that it's actually and having fun with not pandering to a younger audience uh, that the stories it's actually telling still feel kind of relevant. Although when they were talking about nuclear energy being clean energy, it's a, relatively clean. There is there are arguments about nuclear, like the uh, if you can get around the nuclear waste portion, yes. if you can find yeah. something to do with the nuclear waste, the emissions are cleaner. Um, it, it, it It's a tricky one, but it yeah. can be considered a cleaner form of technology. Um, but they're actually, uh, and you know, the, the, the sense of uh, old school style teaching where it wasn't all this, this poppycock nonsense of trying to be bowing and doing all this sort of thing. It actually kind of works with today pretty well, um, even more so than uh, something that was produced just a couple of years ago when I was showing Jane Total Drama Island, which already seemed dated, even though it was only produced a couple of years ago because... 
because it was I mean, feeding they're, so they're heavily. Very different shows. Though. They are very different, but yeah. you know, they 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 could have. They're not trying. Both of the shows were trying to do something in terms of, like, to actually. Uh, what was Total something... Drama Island trying to do? They were again? trying to be satirical <laughs> and was... trying. Yeah. They weren't very successful. But the problem is that was very focused on the zeitgeist of um... Survivor and the current reality media TV climate. Yeah, yeah, reality competition TV. It was it was trying to play off of that, which was so topical of the moment. And now it's not yeah. as topical. And this is yeah. timeless. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's it. definitely got that Batman, Tim Burton, timeless vibe Ugh. as well. I'm sorry to use that analogy. Don't talk to me about Tim Burton. I, I really, do you, have you seen Batman and Batman Returns? But they're good. Have, they're good Have movies. you not seen Batman Returns with Michelle Pfeiffer, Jane? Am I really discovering this for the first time? One of my favourite movies that came out the year I was born. I feel like we've spoken about this before. No, I haven't. I don't care about Tim Burton. Damn it. But, but Michael Keaton. And Michelle and Mike Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer's. Danny DeVito. You're just saying names now. You know these people. Yeah, I do. I just saw how animated you got as well. It was really nice having a video catch up with the energy and enthusiasm (laughs) that I was giving towards Jane. Um, But no, uh, moving on from that atrocity that I probably have talked about with Jane before, um, I I, I really admire the fact that anyone could kind of go back and watch this and it doesn't seem like it's restricted necessarily to, you know, ages 6 to 12. Um, And since they're so short, it's in in that time of... I really appreciate those cartoons, which would have, you know, for a half an hour episode of a show, it would be like cut to whatever morning TV show program was announcing or introducing it, Saturday Disney, Cheese TV, whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely an ABC, so there was no oh, yeah. introduction. But I feel like it could have maybe gone on to a different thing. So who knows? Yeah, it, was it was ABC. It was a little in-between-y show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that it was nice that you would often get two episodes in one. It would say, you know, the tale of the proton power. <laughs> or then it would have a nice little thumbnail or something else uh, before it goes into the next one. Similar to, you know, actually Looney Tunes uh, comics and, and other stuff like that, um, where you would have these short little bite-sized episodes that don't, mm. They're quite economic, actually. They are. I I really, I I enjoy the efficiency of storytelling. It felt like Mm. the story was exactly the right length um, and the right amount of content for the length of the episode, which is really hard to do in a short episode. That it is. Uh, Like, very on brand, Looney Tunes was my jam as well as a kid. Like, (laughs) in terms of cartoons that I watched, it was Looney Tunes, The Big Nights, and uh, Batman the Animated Series, and then, I, and then I just watched uh, like um, like Blackadder and Monty Python and the Goodies. Um, <laughs> I just realised uh, I have really terribly missed out on a possibility of not showing Jane Batman the Animated Series. Well, too late. Season's over. Season. No can do. Nah. It's the only Academy Award. <laughs> Winner of a it's cartoon so show. Well, you should have thought a little bit harder instead Damn of giving it. me Dragon Ball Z and Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a that's a big hand. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, the big nights capture like the 1940 serial shows that I mentioned. It's mm. so much plot densely told because yeah. back then they needed you to come back and tune in every Saturday morning, so they had to like sell you as much as they could, and they put so much effort into every episode just to make sure it was perfectly told Mm. and i think that's why it's only one season one that it's like it was destined to be like a cult kind of following Mm. because of its very niche timeless kind of style but also because they only had so many stories they wanted to tell with these characters and what i loved about it is that they had these established kind of not cliche but like they're very simple characters like sir morris and sir boris so and they 
they're not concerned with learning anything. Like the big knights never learn anything. <laughs> yeah. There's no character so development. It's not edutainment. Yeah. Yeah, it, hmm. yeah, exactly. So it's just about telling these funny stories in these really efficient bite-sized packages that you just enjoy and escape mm. into it. The, yeah. the writing and the dialogue, I just realized it's just, it's just so efficient. Yeah. Because, yeah, they don't have any time to waste. Yeah. I think I think so many shows could learn from this. Um, it's 20 years old. Come on, they should have by now. But I, I get, like, you have to remember that the TV landscape has changed. And, I mean, I'm talking right. more about, you know, general um, adult shows. television, not just oh. children's oh, television. Yeah, okay. yeah. But I feel like, you know, adult television. Uh, focused TV has moved more into the highly serialized prestige drama space, mm. um, which is not concerned with efficiency of storytelling. It never is. It's Re- always very yeah. wordy. It's very sit down, be patient. It'll all pay off in the end, which mm. has its place. Um, it's not really my jam because I have the shortest attention span you've ever met. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like... I feel like it's interesting to kind of look back at a show from 20 years ago that is actually pretty well written and has that efficiency of storytelling and that efficiency of dialogue um, while also still being for children. I think it does pretty well. Uh, It definitely reminds me actually of uh, a show that I've given to you on this podcast before that I think rated well, um, which was Bonding, uh, which is a Netflix show, um, which is kind of like a web series in that they're only like 10 to 14 minute episodes, but it feels like a 40 minute episode because of how, at least I think it does, um, because of how uh, generally economic the writing is in that show, because they're trying to do more in a short amount of time and finish the story in 10 to 14 minutes instead of using 40 minutes to get around to it yeah exactly it doesn't not necessarily that that show felt like it was 40 minutes it just felt like it was the right amount of story for that length of episode Mm. yeah which is what game of thrones should have learned everybody oh gosh like uh, my favorite show is a hbo show uh, boardwalk empire Mm -hmm. but hbo shows are so like luxurious and like we'll get around to our themes and our character development, which is <laughs> see, this is this is why I don't watch a lot of prestige television because I'm like, no. It's similar to quote unquote good c- cinema, um, you know. I mean, like, uh, great story uh, in terms of like a, an actual event in history that happened around the HIV epidemic. Uh, but Dallas Buyers Club is, but boring. It's so dull and I just don't really care for it because while the shots are great, the the writing is decent, the our actors' portrayals, yes, wow, transformation, Matthew McConaughey can lose weight. I'm just... <laughs> don't talk to me about people doing extreme body transformations. Or that you have Jared Leto performing a, um, ca- a character that could be performed by someone who isn't a straight white man. Um, but it's also just... just boring and not interesting or engaging and it takes so long to get around to the actual meaty part of the story um, that we just often find that it's those more cult things those things that are a little bit left of field that maybe aren't as long that don't get as many seasons that don't get as much marketing mm. but tend to be quite good actually uh, yeah like shows like firefly and the big nights you're oh. right into the action <laughs> you're right into it it's a train heist or it's a dragon fight it's amazing yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it tells you what it's going to be and then it delivers that but and not in a in a shitty like simplistic way either because i feel like sometimes if you have a show that it, it is too obvious and has no subtext then you've gone too far the other way there just needs to be a balance and 
I mean, maybe we're all showing our taste as being very like plebeian or whatever mm, right now. Yeah. Um, maybe we're not highbrow enough for these shows. <laughs> but like, I just, that's what I consider to be good storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, now, uh, we often try to uh, get to the uh, root of why it is we love these shows. Um, now, Omani, do you know, could you perhaps in one sentence, you've mentioned it a few times, uh, if it spans into two, we'll let it slide, because I often <laughs> do, um, but uh, why it is that you really do love The Big Nights? In one sentence? In one sentence, if you can, please. All right. I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Use that efficiency of storytelling right now. <laughs> That's right. As we know from Delicious Words Sandwich, I'm notoriously efficient with my writing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Why I love the big nights. Title. <laughs> Sentence starting now. <laughs> Good. <Got it. laughs> I love its intelligent absurdism mm. that it's so knowingly silly, but not shy or abashed about it in any way being a story about outsiders who are confident being outsiders doing swashbuckling rambunctious adventure just because it's entertainment and it's fun yeah yeah Great. No, I think Beautiful. that's very well done. Uh, I didn't realize how much this show was embodying um, that whole concept of the outsiders, them being the central characters of the show and often referred to as basically those ditzes on the end <laughs> of the ca- towny lines. You they know? are what one might t- these days refer to as a himbo. <laughs> oh my gosh I regret teaching you that You didn't teach me that Oh I didn't teach you that The internet taught me that Thank you oh, very much Oh good on what the internet What is a himbo? It's a, it's a, it's a male him, A male bimbo Yeah um, <laughs> Usually Usually like a gym bro Someone usually. who is Maybe not as intelligent uh, And is more concerned With their muscles And appearance And tight clothing don't need to go on. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I definitely think that there's something in here for a lot of people. And that while I think 50% of the episodes do uh, delve into the absurdity quite a bit, and Jane may not like that necessarily if it comes up with camp for the sake of camp or a crazy story just for the sake of it. Uh, and you don't necessarily have, you know, character development or long-lasting relations between characters for 10 minutes. Um, it's got some really fun things that it can just actually pop out there and throw at you great so uh on this show we usually rate each other's tv shows um and we have a very special rating system which we will explain for you right now old maddie yes uh, it's it, we we rank things on how many eyes we would give them mm-hmm. um and so our ranking system has four no there eyes are, there are four options no eyes means I would actively turn this off. I will refuse to cast my eyes toward this, usually because I um, either completely nothing it or actively hate it. Yeah, like Elvis style shooting the TV. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, and I've given plenty of zero eyes, particularly this season. Um, uh, one one eye, eye means that like if it were on you, and you background. were like doing stuff, like you'd watch it and you'd be like, okay, yeah, sure, fine. Not a problem. Yep. Uh, two eyes means that you'd sit down and watch it. Um, means that you know you would you would actively possibly seek this out. Actually, give it some of your attention. Yeah. yeah. And then four eyes means put on your specs, t- pull down the blinds. We are watching this. This is amazing. We're going to binge the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. Throwing the phone out the window. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and obviously, being four things, there's no middle ground. There is no three. 
um, three eyes. Three know. star rating, quote unquote. Exactly. Um, so we often have to make a more tougher decision not to sit on the fence and kind of go one way or the other with this. Um, I think uh, we were kind of using doll's eyes and we still... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they're just called doll's eyes this <laughs> um, season because kids we're, shows. We're trying yeah. to, uh, you know, rate them with the understanding of what, uh, level they're kind of at, yeah. So uh, but still pay uh, respect or to the fact that when shows are well done, uh, as opposed to shows that are just basically not well done just because they're directed at a children audience. Exactly, exactly. So Kurt, how many eyes do you give the Big Night? I'm totally giving it two eyes. I'm not giving it four because I think these episodes didn't grab me. Um, but uh, I will say that the episodes individually, I know that there are other episodes that would be four for me because I actually do remember it so well. I'm surprised how vivid it is in my imagination. As soon as I started seeing this again, hearing those, uh, the old announcement, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the narrator actually is, uh, is it Peter Blouse? Uh, I think it's Alexander West or something. Right. Because it's just such Alexander a... Alexander Armstrong. There you go. Yeah. It's such a wonderful, just familial tone um, that kind of reminds me of that that time and place. Uh, so it's definitely two eyes for me. And I know that some episodes would be four. Excellent. Um, I give this a, a solid one eye. Um, that's pretty good in Jane's life. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty happy. happy. If, like, if there's been zeros dished out, like the TV's not being shot, we're still going. Oh yeah, no, no. I think the the whole thing about this show for me is that like uh, the content isn't really for me. It doesn't grab me. I don't necessarily want to sit down and watch this um, just because it's it's a little sillier than I generally like my shows to be. Um, but you do give credit to its writing efficiency. I totally give credit to it. And and I think that it's it's not so annoying that I would want to turn it off. It's, it's totally fine to have in the background. I wouldn't, like if I had kids, I wouldn't stop them from watching it. I would, I would put my niece in front of this. She loves Peppa Pig. She'd probably love this too. Um, so yeah, a solid one eye, which for me for this season is, is good. So you did good, old Maddie. That's good. That's a (laughs) wink and a smile. (laughs) Totally. Very nice. Yes. Um, and now, uh, for, uh, this week, uh, in particular, we also have uh, a nice little segment of what's been in our eyes. Uh, and so I know for me, definitely, I'm very excited that I finally crossed something off my list, uh, which is actually available for anyone who has an Amazon prime account. I have uh, finally gotten around to watching Overlord, which uh, if anyone knows of J.J. Abrams' uh, career, this is actually a smaller film that he did uh, around the time of Star Wars before it all got really big, and it didn't get a lot of marketing push, but it's kind of like a Castle Wolfenstein adaptation of the very popular game franchise, um, where it's basically Nazi zombies and uh, a ragtag team of military operatives in World War II happen upon a French town where the Nazi zombie experiments are happening. And it's just absolute nonsense, but well done nonsense. And uh, the actor who plays Fitz from Agent, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually in there. Um, and you might recognize a few people. It is very violent and graphic being a zombie movie, but it knows it's a bloody zombie movie <laughs> and has fun with it. It is a bit um, gory and um, uh, explicit at times, but it's, it's a Nazi zombie movie. 
I don't think I need to say anything else. For anyone who that's going to appeal to, it will appeal to you and you'll watch it. And if not, you won't. It's fine. Uh, but Overlord, available on Amazon Prime. And also the central character is uh, a nice representation of the fact that so many um, African-American people were conscripted into the war mm. um, and uh, they weren't necessarily uh, regarded as heroes, but they were all fighting on the front lines and he's the central character in the movie, um, which is quite nice to actually remind everyone of the diversity in history as opposed to whitewashing it. You son of a bitch. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and uh, if you don't have an Amazon Prime account, you can always start a trial. Perfect. Uh, I'll go next and then we can go with yourself, old Maddie. Mm. Um, What is in my eye this week is actually in my ears. Um, It's a podcast that I've been listening to. Um, Those who've who've listened to the podcast before know that even prior to the uh, global pandemic, I was vaguely fascinated with infectious diseases um and have been listening to um this podcast will kill you podcast for a while oh yeah that's right um but uh since since we are you know currently in crisis mode i've been listening to quite a few um podcasts around the COVID 19 um build and spread and i i'm not really frightened about it for myself but i am just fascinated by this whole situation Mm. um i don't know how you can do that i would have trouble sleeping at night no it's for me it's much more important that i know what's going on yeah i need to know all the details it makes me less stressed out than being in the dark so um the most the one that i found uh to be the most comprehensive so far um in terms of going into details about things is one called viral Um, which I found on Stitcher. Mm. Uh, So I've been listening to that. They have a new update every couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, They're actually at the point now where they're all recording separately um, from their homes because they've been told not to go to work anymore. Yep. Um, Because they're in New York and things are not looking great in New York right now. Nope. But... Yeah, so that's my podcast. If you want to keep abreast of the information, you can listen to that one. If you want a more Australia-focused view, I also recommend CoronaCast, which you can get from the ABC Listen uh, app. No, I really want an actual Corona. <laughs> that's a beer by the way if anyone wasn't familiar yeah. with uh with that a lime. with a lime always <laughs> with a lime. i saw a wonderful reddit post the other day which was actually uh in the shelves where toilet paper would be uh that actually just had a six pack of corona uh and it had a little note on it that says tough luck mate have a drink that's a terrible joke <laughs> i that's think a, it's that, kind of great <laughs> That's a good bit. It's <laughs> a good bit. No. And also, if you can't find toilet paper, then why not have a drink? Just take a shower afterwards. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, moving on. Thank you. More oh, information Maddie. than I needed. What's, what's oh, been in your eye this Maddie. week? <laughs> um, in my eye at the moment, again, on brand, I finally got around to watching 30 Rock. Uh, it's, oh. all, it's all on stand. And I just... I love it so much. It's my humour that I didn't even know I was after. <laughs> Had you not it's, seen it before? I've never seen it before. Wow. And it's got everything I like from a, like, especially American comedy. Because mm. it's, it's, again, it's like smart absurdism, but it's silly. And it sometimes it's incredibly dumb, but it knows when it's being dumb. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, especially with that introduced me to Tracy Jordan so much. And I and I knew of Tina Fey, but that introduced me to Tina Fey. And then I bought her book and a biography and followed all of her shows after that. I never actually finished the final season, so I probably should. Um, but no, my gosh, I'm so happy that another person has watched 30 Rock. Oh, it's so I mean, it's not, like it's, a, it's not like it's a cult classic. Everybody loves 30 Rock. Well, no, but also... I'm the exception in this situation. <laughs> I was talking to my friend uh, yesterday about it. And his immediate reaction was like, you haven't seen it? It's your show. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he's talking about how Alec Baldwin would just rake in the Emmys for it. Yes. And, and every time it'd be like, and yeah, best actor out for a comedy, Alec Baldwin, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the perfect role for him. That just yeah. works. It, it's like, because it's so... Because someone would be like, see one episode, it's like, oh, it's pretty one note. He just plays like this really kind of machismo, cool executive. But then there's these moments when he's talking to a peacock who he thinks has the soul of his mentor in it. And there's this really heartfelt goodbye. <laughs> and you buy it. You're yeah. just like, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I especially enjoy the relationship he has with his mother. Yes. <laughs> it's a duel of wills and intellects. And... <laughs> And uh, one of his wives, uh, he doesn't have multiple wives at the same time. He just goes through multiple relationships. As, Good to know. As uh, multiple of the female characters in the show do. At least I don't think so. Um, uh, Salma Hayek uh, does not appreciate the relationship he has with his brother. I'll take your word for it. Mm. Look, I don't hate 30 Rock. Uh, no, I never I sh- managed to get into it. I just... We even had a podcast episode where I tried to convince her why I liked 30 Rock and why she liked... Uh, she tried to convince me why she liked Parks and Rec. We're very much mm-hmm. uh, very still confused as to why, actually. No, we... We, we got yeah. there. Look, it's a long story. We won't bore everyone with it right now. You can go back and listen to the... Uh, no, you can't. No, we could maybe put it it's out there. It's gone. Uh, yeah, we actually the the first like fifty episodes of our podcast are lost in the ether at the moment, so that's okay. Uh, but no, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, we're all big fans, uh, and also you get to see Carrie Fisher in there twice. I think she did two guest stars. Oh, I've seen her once so far. Yeah, uh, that was amazing. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and Steve oh. Buscemi as a private private investigator. Like I've got a private investigator certificate. And. <laughs> and He's exactly the kind of guy I could be, <laughs> and it's so funny. <laughs> yes, uh, I do believe old Maddie already has the facial hair required to uh, portray and pursue uh, Steve Buscemi in any variety that he would want. Wait, what? Inc- no, 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 have you yeah. not seen Steve Buscemi's Reservoir Dogs? Sorry, when you said pursue, I assumed you meant like relationshipy. Oh no. I mean maybe. Maybe. I don't, I, like, could... I don't know. I don't know what way Steve Buscemi, you know, swings. I could play Buscemi in a biopic and then I could appear in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, this has layers. And then with that stardom, I personally fund the Big Nights feature film in which I star. It's very convoluted. This is a, this is a perfect one-to-one step. All of those steps Just directly work. lead into each other. Mm-hmm. Just like a good Big Nights episode. Amazing. See, full circle. I love it. Good work, everybody. All right. Well, I think that's probably all we have time for today. Old Maddie, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you normally? Well, if you want some of my absurdist nonsense, and I promise it is, uh, I have a very long-running like in terms of long running, long long episodes, short <laughs> n- short in number because they take ages to make. Uh, a radio serial literature adventure, delicious word sandwich, in which I go on a radio adventure and turn lit- classic literature into sandwiches. Amazing. I uh, personally really love the Doctor Seuss episode. I think mm-hmm. it was Oh the Places You'll Go. 
Yeah, um, that was the first one. <laughs> I, 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 that's 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 really fun, uh, and it reminds me so much of uh, what I would have done uh, as a kid in terms of the kind of sandwiches that I make. Uh, I am so curious to try and actually make one of these sandwiches after listening to one of your podcasts, uh, because I would make things like a Nutella sandwich with pineapple, pickled onion, and some garlic. Uh, no, and, and, no. Uh, while my uh, grandparents, this is only when I was at my grandparents' house, never at home, and then they'd say, gross, this is disgusting, you can't make this, and Pop would say, no, if he eats it, he can make whatever he wants, and I ate it, so it's fine. I got to make yeah. all kinds of Delicious sandwiches. <laughs> Chuck some words in there and you've got a show. <laughs> um, wonderful, wonderful. So you, that's where we can find you. And mm-hmm. uh, do you have social media as well? I am. Uh, so you can follow Delicious Word Sandwich on Instagram. And I'm on the Facebook, but I don't go there as often as yeah, I should. Yeah, not away. And I'm also a semi-regular co-host on the show Hooked. And just... I'm spread around the That's Not Canon network. Mm. Perfect. Yes. Amazing. You'll hear his voice uh, popping up a few times in some guest roles. Um, but no, you can also follow us on uh, Instagram, mostly, uh, at uh, Made You Look Pod. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can email us at jackrandomedia at outlook.com if you prefer to send us you know, private messages um, and let us know whether you'd like them to be read on the pod. We can do that. Uh, you could also please rate, review or subscribe. Uh, it definitely means a lot to us and it's great to get some feedback in terms of how we all sound. I do remember one of uh, the first reviews we had, uh, which ended up being someone I went on a date with. I promise I won't necessarily date you, but I've been listening back to some of our podcasts and apparently I have a sexy voice. I'll take their word for it. You don't really do it for me personally. No, but, uh... no. I think it's only like there half the time. I don't really know what they were going on about, but maybe. Maybe. Um, anyway, other than that, thank you so much for coming on the pod, old Maddie. It's been a delight to have you. Very much so. Thank you oh. so much. Thank you for having me. I'm truly honoured. It's been so fun. <laughs> Excellent. And everybody tune in next week when we will have another guest also from within the TNC network. We're very excited to tell you who that will be. Uh, and also, I'm hoping by the time you're listening to this, the world is a much safer place. Probably and, not. Uh, if it's not, you know, there's more podcasts that you could listen to on the That's Not Canon um, Productions Network. Sorry, I'm just taking a photo of you, Maddie, for the old Insta. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's, it's fun Amazing. getting that delay. Yeah, it's uh, really good. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. We will speak to you next week and goodbye. Bye-bye. Farewell. Hello. Can Hello. You, can you hear us? Oh, yes. Yes, okay. We see a face. Can you hear us? Cool. <laughs> Going well. This should work. This worked last time. Yeah. Oh. Oh. What was that? That sounded like he was starting to. Technical issues. Love it. Do you want me to say anything on Facebook? Yeah, can you just say, um, that was weird. Could you hear us? Maybe we'll do a video call just so that we can kind of see each other. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely.
I cannot. Can you hear me? Wait, something's coming through. Oh, okay. Um. What is going on? I could hear you at the end there. Oh, after the click? Do you remember hearing that? We'll try once more. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, he's calling too. <laughs> Where is that coming from? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hey. Oh, Brilliant. That's so much better. I don't know what we did, but it worked. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 